What is up? And welcome back to Think Like Me or Don't season finale, season one. Uh, yes, this episode, I didn't even know that there was a season one or a season two, but I've decided that this is going to be the end of season one and uh, season two starts next week. Um, season two actually is going to be an interesting uh, departure. Uh, we're going to we're going to take a look at some things a little bit differently and follow something that I'm going through right now. Um, it's going to be a little bit more. Well, it'll be I'll, I'll explain it when we get to season two. Um, as always, uh, if you are interested in sending in comments, if you have questions and you might actually have more comments or questions or suggestions for things with season two. So that might be kind of fun. Uh, but also, if you are interested in listener support, you can head over to anchor.fm forward slash think like me. And uh, yeah, that'd be kind of fun. Um, so anyway, without any further ado, I will turn it over to me previous <laughs> and uh, we'll go from there. Peace. Yo, in this edition of the Wickwalk Thought, we are going to talk about what I call the bro code of business. Really, it's just the bro code of life. Um, but essentially, it's like the bro code. Uh, I just got off the phone with a good friend of mine, a colleague, former colleague, and um, he is, was describing to me some client nightmare issues that he's having. And I can commiserate having had many such client nightmares myself. And it, it just it struck me again how... Uh, important and valuable uh, adhering to this bro code is. And I want to be very clear. If you... This is not about, like, turning a blind eye to mistakes. This is not about, like, handouts. Right? A lot of you might think that what I'm talking about is, like, just be a bro. Like, just, just, just pay and we'll figure it out. You should know that I am a stickler for results. I'm a stickler for value being tied to results, not just to the way that you can sell it. But I think that there is too much, um, there's a problem with, well, let me just explain kind of how this, what, what this friend of mine was saying. His, his client um, hired him on retainer, so he's paying him a significant amount each month. And if, for whatever, for better or for worse, that client represents a pretty large percentage of this friend's business, okay? And uh, one month, that client decided that he wasn't feeling super, like, he was like, ah, I feel like you're, I think, feel like things are lagging a little bit. So we should move things forward faster. And so my friend was like, okay, well, I mean, part, that's, part of that's, like the, that's the level you're on. Like, we, we agreed that this is what it was going to be. So if you feel like you need more, why don't we just go find another, why don't we just go bring on some more resources? So... Long story short, he um, he went and found some other resources, took on, shouldered the cost of hiring and managing those resources so that they could move things forward quicker. Um, and the client was like, okay, we'll pay for it. And they, they decided on some deliverables and things and, and decided to move things forward, and, and that went fine. So they got, they decided on a bunch of things. As it always happens, the, the list of tasks that were supposed to be completed by the end of the month got changed like five times and then by the end of the month it was like a different list of tasks different list of programs that needed to be completed and um but the you know the my friend was like no we haven't we got most of the stuff done still even though there were all these changes 
Anyway, so he reaches out at the end of the month and he says, cool, so do you want to keep going? Like, we wanna, do we want to keep moving forward or like what's, what's the plan here? And the client says, no, um, I, there's, some, there's still some stuff that um, needs to be done. So I'm not going to pay until that stuff is finished. And my friend was like, I was livid. <laughs> he was like, I, he, he told me all the swear words that he said uh, to himself. And then he's like, you know what? All right, whatever. I like, I actually like this client. I think he's a smart guy. And I think he's got a lot of good that he can provide. And so I'm just going to kind of bite the bullet here, bite my tongue, not get too, super upset and just help him out. And so he uh, wraps up a couple of other projects, takes about a week into this next month, no payment, just kind of wraps some things up and makes some enhancements on some other pieces and actually starts to lay in roads for future builds, obviously with the good faith that this client's going to get his head out of his ass and pay him. And uh, so after he's done that, he's been, he, he went back and he looked at the very specific communication to see what it was that he committed to for that month. And so he sends the client an email and says, okay, cool. So it looks like we've got everything that we talked about doing last month. It's done according to the, the list that we talked about. Um, I've also done some other stuff to get, to move things forward a little bit further. I'm bought into what you're doing. Let's move this thing forward. And I'll cut uh, some off of your retainer because we spent some of this month figuring out what the future. So basically he's just like, look, let's, Let's, let's put the, that little awkwardness behind us. I think there's a lot of good that we can do together. So let's just, let's capitalize on that and not burn this bridge is essentially what he was going for. And um, sent the email over and nothing, no response. And, and to make, actually, I didn't even, I didn't even forget about this. To make matters even worse, when he reached out initially and was like, okay, are we good to, am I good to bill you? I'm going to send you this invoice for this next month. The client didn't even have the balls to email him himself and say, no, we're going to hold off until we get these things completed. He has this brand new assistant that he just hired that he had to do it. So now it's, now we're in, now they're in this awkward, like spot where is my, my friends like, am I allowed to contact the client directly? Am I supposed to go through the secretary? But the client still like texts him. So there's all of this awkwardness about like what specifically is supposed to happen. And I feel like, you know, there's a lot of things that my friend could have done different. That was the first thing I thought. I was like, well, why didn't you just get it in writing from the beginning? And, and as, as he went along, he, anytime the thing changed, he should have been very clear that, okay, well, this, this messes with our end date. This messes with when we're, when we can, we can realistically complete all these things just to be more clear with the client that some of that stuff was going to happen. And, we, and I talked to him about that. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but I still, I feel like there's a certain level of, like, um, I don't even know the right way to put it. But when I say that, when I say the term of like the bro code of business, I feel like what was broken was this client is well within his rights to say, I'm not satisfied with service and I want to cancel. That's fine. Or I'm not satisfied with the service. If I don't get these things done by this date, then I'm not going to pay. Right. Or, Hey, uh, the, the end of the month is a week away. I'm noticing that all the stuff that we talked about is not done. Is that right? Is it done? Um, and 
because if because if not, I'm not I don't I don't feel comfortable paying until we've completed the stuff that we said we were going to complete, right? Or when my friend reaches out and says, "Hey, uh, I'm willing to do all this stuff, and it looks like the stuff's done. Can we move forward? Like, say something." And none of this like it's like business ghosting, right? Like, there's nothing worse than uh, than we're reaching out to a client or a former client or you know whatever and saying okay cool so we got all this stuff ready to go let's uh, rock and roll move forward and you feel kind of jazzed and amped about it because a bunch of stuff has been done but then the client's like nothing they don't say a word and I feel like there's just a there's a general that's why I say bro code and I know that sounds more misogynistic than I mean it to obviously it applies to women as well but I just feel like in business you owe it to, I think there's a, there's a certain amount of karma that, um, that, that is at play in business. And I, I just feel like it's a bit of a dick move to be so cagey about payment like that. Like, you got to understand, if you're, if you're paying somebody a significant amount of money, um, they pay their bills with that. Like... Especially if you know that they're not running like a massive agency. My friend's a freelancer. So he's not like, he doesn't have a bunch of employees under him. Thank goodness. So at least he doesn't have payroll to make. But like, freelancers pay their bills with the same dollars that you pay them with. Right? They pay their rent with that money. And true, they, you know, they definitely need to, need to make sure that the quality of their work is up to par. But... I don't know. I just feel like you can't. You can't do that. Like, I just feel like it's not a good, not good as a human. And I feel like it's the same thing is true just in regular life. You know, you can't. You can't approach situations and 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 try and like weasel your way into a better situation by not holding true on your commitments or I don't know there's just I don't really know how to how to how to explain it very well but I think you get kind of what I'm saying it's, especially if you're a business that's hired someone like be upfront, be forthright if you don't like the way something has been done say so it's fine firing somebody is fine okay just like in a relationship breaking up with somebody is fine you're not you don't have to stay in relationships with people Nobody said that. What's not fine is the slow, uh, the slow destruction of the relationship by a lack of, you know, putting something into it. Ghosting, right? Or the long-term version of ghosting. It's in business all the time. You're just like, ah, no, I'm no, I don't really want any more. Like we need, we need to be more committed. I think in general, we need to we need to be in or out, right? If you're going to hire someone to do something, hire them, tell them it's all good, tell them what you want them to do, pay them on time. If you can't pay them on time, like this is a good example. I I have um, I have my own cash flow problems, and I have some contractors that I wasn't able to pay on time, and uh, and I told as soon as I found out that I had the cash flow flow problems, I reached out to them and I said, hey, um, I got some cash flow problems. I want you to just send me how much I owe you as of right now and stop. I don't want you to do anything until I can pay you for what I owe you. 
and I just told them up front, I said, look, I am good for this, I am going to pay you, but I can't do it right now. And all, all three of them, I think, appreciated the fact that I wasn't trying to avoid the conversation, I wasn't trying to, to duck out of it. I was just saying, look, this is, this is the situation. And yeah, it's my fault. And so I'm actually willing to pay interest on those payments that are late. Like, that's fine. I, I understand. I'm willing to pay that because that's, that's my fee for making stupid choices. But, um, and I apologize, it's getting really loud here. But I just, I think that in general, you know, as a, as a business owner, when you hire an agency or, or a person or a freelancer or a consultant or anything like that, you just have to be, you got to adhere to that. You got you to gotta stick to the bro code, right? Don't be a dick. Right? If it, in fact, I can't emphasize that enough. Just when you're thinking, hmm, should I do this? Should I do this thing? And then it's kind of like the Dwight Schrute thing where he says, uh, whenever I am debating whether I should do something, I think, um, I think, would an idiot do that thing? And if they would, then I don't do that thing. Right? Same thing. Think about what you're about to do. And think, is this the dicky move or is this the manly move? Right? And especially, oh, this is my last little parting comment. Especially, if you are an influencer that publicly talks about not pulling one over on other people, publicly calls out your own customers for trying to pull one over on you, you don't have the right. You don't have, it's not within your, what you're allowed to do, to do that to your, the people you hire. You, you, that, that's, you give up all right to be a dick when you tell other people not to be a dick. So, anyway, those are my thoughts on that. And we're back, so, peace! Yo, what up? And welcome back to another episode or another edition of the brand new segment called I Just Got Punched and Kicked in the Face a lot of times really hard. So let's see what kind of thoughts I come up with. It's true. I actually did just get punched and kicked quite hard. Not so much the kicking today. Today was a little bit more of a, of a punching in the face day. In fact, my jaw and really my whole face and my front tooth are still numb like numb. It's a little bit trippy. Um, but it was a good day. We had Roma back. You guys don't know who Roma is, but I do. He's uh, one of the fighters on our team who's been uh, gone for a while, a little MIA. He got, he had a pretty bad knockout about six, eight months ago. And so he's taken some time off, went to Russia, but he's back looking pretty strong, looking pretty bearded, which is a little bit weird, but whatever. Um, and then good old Brandon, as always, just smashing. Just for the huge. You know, it's crazy. Today, today I had this interesting thought after one of these instances of getting smashed in the face. And it occurred to me, I've mentioned before on this podcast that I try as I, I try when, when something happens more than once to me, the what I try and figure out is whether or not I'm the common denominator, like I'm the reason. Like I, I try and sometimes I'm just unlucky a lot. 
but I feel like it's not possible for one person to be that unlucky for his whole life. And so I'm trying to be a little bit less uh, complainy and like whiny, a little bit more taking accountability for maybe my own involvement. Anyway, so after I got hit one of these times, I was like, do I, I think maybe in some of these instances, I kind of invite it. Like, I wonder if with Brandon, like, I have to think about the times when I am going with someone who's bigger than me, which is very rare because I am by by a long margin, by a very wide margin, the biggest and the heaviest guy at our gym. But those few times when I have gone with someone bigger than me, I've felt like even though it, it's they're clearly holding back, I'm getting hit pretty hard. I think it has to do with physics and weight, things like that that you can't really control. Well, not, not, not fully. And, um, and it occurred to me that maybe, maybe what I need to do is less, be less like in my head complaining about how hard any one particular person is hitting and be more conscious of the fact that maybe they're hitting hard because I'm hitting hard because I'm a big guy. Not that I'm trying to, right? I might even be trying to hold back, but that doesn't mean that I'm not still maybe me holding back physically as in by by the by the because of physics i don't even know how to say that because of physics i just throw harder maybe that's just the the case and so i invite it because i might get caught with something and be be <laughs> i mentioned this i think two episodes ago three episodes ago but i have made a shift where i'm no longer the guy that just sort of sits and takes it now if you catch me good i'm gonna get you back and today I had, there was a little bit of that impetuousness that came out. Uh, Brandon caught me pretty good and he was hunting for the body again. And so I grabbed him and threw him. And, you know, in my, you know, in my own defense, in some of those instances, I feel like it's valuable for, for both parties to understand what's actually happening in those moments. Because I feel like I don't want, number one, Brandon's a friend and he's a training partner, and I want him to succeed, and he has a better chance of being a fighter for a longer period of time than I do. Oh, man, he got me good. My face is broken. Jeez. Anyway, um, but at the same time, I don't want him to get complacent thinking that he can get away with certain things just because I'm not, you know, just for whatever reason. Like, I don't want him to think that because he's the one that we're trying to groom to be a fighter and so maybe we're not being as aggressive with him because we want him to be healthy when he fight, like all those things. I don't want him to, to, to get into the, I don't want him to, to feel like he can get away with things. And I also want him to understand that there are certain things that he needs to respect a little bit more. Like he, I talked about this a little bit last week with how Sparring is different than fighting in that it's a little bit more complicated. Like there's more variables, there's more things to consider. And he has a tendency, I think he's trying to not allow himself to think like that, but he has a tendency when we're sparring to take advantage of, uh, uh, well, take advantage of the advantages that he, that he is presented with. And this is, I think this is true of, of just about everybody. I do this too. But I think we have this, we have this tendency to notice things that our opponent might be doing in a sparring round, which they might not be doing because they, that's the way they do things. This is so hard to describe. Like for example, I, I might not be super aggressive in the clinch when I'm sparring, 
mostly because I'm using the cl- first. I mean, first of all, a lot of times I use the clinch as like rest because I'm old and fat and tired. But also, I'm not really trying to hurt the person. And a lot of times, clinching and turning people and throwing knees, like you can get hurt really fast because things are unexpected there. You can get swept and thrown and stuff. So I'm not as aggressive in the clinch. I'm usually a little bit more defensive in the clinch. So I'll just kind of lock down what the other person's doing, wear them out, then break, and then go back to it. Well, Brandon, a lot of people have a tendency to, I don't know, I'm, I don't know why I'm shitting on Brandon. Brandon's a great kid. But, I mean, Roma is the same way. A lot of other people are the same way, right? A lot of times you, you take advantage of those, you take, I hate saying it that way, because you take advantage of the advantages, right? And you can feel like you have more ability and more dominance over a bigger person than you actually do, which can give you a false sense of confidence. And in some instances, that can be detrimental to you in a fight, because you might go in thinking, oh, I, I'm so, I'm good in the clinch. I, I throw the big guys. Well, you can't, you can't assume that you're good in the clinch because you throw someone in sparring, because in sparring, the other person might not be trying to throw you. They might have a different, a different approach altogether. So like today, part of what happened was I got, he was, he was hunting a little bit and I got a little bit hot headed. I saw red for a second. And so I came at him and I wrapped him up in the clinch and I just, and I threw him just, and it was kind of like, you know, from my side. And again, this is where the impetuousness comes in. In my side, I was like, yeah, that'll show him like, just realize I'm bigger than you. And at any moment, if I really turned it on, I could throw you almost like, don't like, it's okay that I let you throw me because you know, I let myself get into situations, but just don't realize, don't think that that makes you that much better. But at the same time, I keep thinking to myself, well, some of the times he's thrown me, it's because he is better than me. (laughs) So anyway, that attitude, that whole attitude of, of, you know, sometimes turning it on for the sake of for like trying to force someone to respect you or trying to get someone to, uh, to, to take you seriously or whatever. And, and like going into that dark place for a second, sometimes I can forget that even inching toward that can invite further aggression. Like there's nothing one of the most common things that happens in sparring and fighting is a thing called escalation. And that's where if I hit you and then you hit me harder, I'm going to hit you harder than you hit me back. And then it escalates. So now we're no longer sparring at the level that we started at. Now we're sparring at a level that's a little bit more aggressive. And so if that keeps going, which it always does, then if you have a lot of time left in the round, you could get, you know, three quarters of the way through the round, have 30 seconds left, 45 seconds left, and be basically going full bore which I'll admit happens to me sometimes, but I can't help but wonder if I always look at it and I think to myself, no, I don't instigate that. I match. So someone else increases and then I increase and then someone else increases and I increase. But I have to, you know, I have to remember maybe that's not what they think. Maybe from their perspective, it's actually more that I'm the one that's being aggressive and they're responding with aggression, right? Because it's, it, you know, it's all about it. It's all about perspective, you know. I can, I'm not feeling my own punches, so I don't know how hard I'm hitting. I'm, I'm controlling them to the extent that I, that I feel like I should, but sometimes also when I know that we're in a, in a spot where somebody's coming after me and I'm defending myself, I'm throwing back pretty hard, you know what I mean? So I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you, because I don't think that if you were to confront any of the people that I train with, that they would say, oh, no, no, we, we try and hold back, and then Brett just is a bully, and so we have to defend ourselves against him. I don't really think that that's the case. I do feel like I might invite things by, by, by suggestion, even if not by outright aggression, 
So I might be like, I might catch somebody pretty good and then that ignite, they see red themselves, you know, just like I do. Um, but, you know, that's part of what it comes from. And, you know, being the bigger guy, other people tend to think that they can throw harder on the bigger guy, which is fine because they kind of can. Although today, today my face hurts. The whole left side of my face is like, it's tender, like, I'm not kidding, it's tender to the touch. I think there's a, I think my cheekbones are bruised, which is really annoying. Also, I still, my tooth is still numb. My front left tooth, I can't, that can't be a good thing. So it's not chipped, I don't think. I checked it when we, uh, after the, we were done sparring, I checked it in the mirror. It doesn't look like it's chipped. I'm going to have a massive black eye, though, I know that. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty intense on that side. But anyway, so I think, again, it's important. This goes back to the thought that I had, I think it was two, three episodes ago. The point is, don't forget in situations, um, if you're anything like me, you need to not let stuff that happens to you dictate the way that you look at the world around you because you influence your world more than anybody else does. So what you bring on yourself, a lot of times is more your own fault. Well, the way I said that makes it obvious. A lot of times the stuff that happens to you, you bring on yourself, making it your own fault, right? Nobody, nobody's out to get you. Everybody's got their own stuff that they're doing. Nobody's like sitting at home thinking, how can I scheme against this person? That only happens in the movies. Nobody has time for that. If anybody out there has time and has resources to be focused on scheming and plotting against somebody else, come talk to me. Because I want some of your time. I want some of your money. I got work for you to do. Right? I don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. I wish I could say I set that up on purpose, but I didn't. It just sort of happened. So, um, yeah. So just remember, most of the time, things that happen to you are your own fault. Like, you bring stuff on yourself, and uh, and it's, it's not because of some uh, intentional malice that you find yourself in certain situations. Um, anyway, about to head home. They didn't have the showers today. And uh, so I'm all sweaty and nasty and the car is going to be rank for like four days. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's a nice facility. Got some good rounds in. The one night, the thing I think that's really cool about it is that there's a window right out to the street. So people that are walking by can actually watch. Now, most of the people that are in East Village, I would rather not watch me spar because they're a little creepy. But I think with time, we might develop a little bit of an audience, which would be fun. Um, probably not, but that would be kind of fun. So, anyway, headed home. Uh, they have the farmer's market out there now, so we're going to go hit it up. Uh, Sue's already been there for a little while, so when I get there, I'm going to go get some food and then go from there. Peace! What's up? It's a Wick Walk Thought. I am walking Wick. We haven't even gotten out of the building yet. But my tooth hurts. And so I want to talk about something that I... It's just crazy how you can make like... You make like these decisions. You do that. You make choices. And sometimes you, you couldn't possibly fathom the ultimate consequences of the choices that you make. 
and yet you can't you can't avoid them. The consequences, I mean. Sometimes the choices. Like you can't you can't like say, oh I didn't mean to, or that's not what I had in mind, or anything, because it's like Like for example, so my face hurts, right? My tooth hurts. And at some level I could blame that on the guy that hit me today. But really, I mean, how much of that is my, like, to what extent is the, the amount, like the, the depth to which I threw myself into Muay Thai to blame for the fact that that happened. Like, there's a, I mean, my tooth is still numb, but every time I get any feeling, like the only feeling that I'm getting in my tooth right now is like that deep, deep, like nerve tooth pain. You know, like the, the worst kind of pain you can have as associated with your tooth. And I've actually been there a couple of times. <clears throat> and it's my, oh, just hit me again. It's my front tooth front left tooth so it's like not one that you can just not hit, deal with <sighs> it's funny because it's a this is a microcosm of a, another issue that I'm dealing with right now another consequence of some a long steady stream of Fortunate choices. <clears throat> um, not many people know this, and this is the perfect time for me to air this grievance because no one's going to hear this. But I made just an almost unending series of really poor financial decisions over the last say five years of my life and it's put me in a situation where I'm like not really I'm not I'm, I don't want to sound ungrateful because um, I do have a business and it is I do I do produce revenue and I am able to make money there's no shortage of money to be made but because of the some of the decisions that I've made money is in short supply and it seems like more and more um, things are happening that are showing me that some of the decisions that I've made are poorly timed, to put it that way. Like, I feel like there was a time in my life when I could have afforded to make some of these bad decisions, and that time was 10 years ago, and not now. Um, because it's like as a, as a business owner like I should have backup reserves of cash and like I might have to replace my front tooth as a 32 year old man the, the, the notion of replacing my, of replacing, potentially replacing a tooth, first of all, that's not something that you should be faced with. 
um, this young, and definitely not, well, I shouldn't say this young, probably more like this at this age, probably at this old. Not something you should be faced with because, number one, you will have gotten all of that physical anxiety out by that point in your life. But also, you will have figured out how to be a little bit more cautious with your face. And uh, people around me know, I, I lean into it. I love, like, black eyes to me are like a, it's like I wear them like a badge of honor. I don't know, because I think at some, on some level it makes me think that I'm participating in something bigger than myself. You know, it's, 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 it's not so much the black eye itself, it's what it says about what I do and what my hobbies are. You know what I mean? Like it speaks to me being more manly than others because I put myself in enough harm's way to get hit. But it's interestingly enough, not nobody else gets black eyes, you know. And the same thing with the financial decisions. I, I just I look back and I think so much of my life has been has taken such a positive turn in the last five years. But that's not one of the things that was positive. One thing I tell people all the time that are dating, if you're going to get married, make sure she's the right one because you cannot afford to get divorced. Especially when, for lack of, well, for all intents and purposes, I got, I got taken to the cleaners in terms of our financial situation, which is kind of a, I hate to, I don't like to sit, sit here four years later and bitch about what could have been or what should have been, but... I mean, I did get the short end of the stick, but again, that's my fault. It's my own, that was my own doing because I was overly romantic, not in the good way, overly romantic in the capital R way about how it should go down. So now I'm in this spot that no 32-year-old man who, is, who knows anything about life should ever be in where I've got to figure out how I can have enough money just in my bank to pay rent in a couple of weeks for next month and then put together a deposit and first month's rent for the place we're moving next month and then come up with another bit of rent because we're going to be overlapping for the first part of November and then um, also uh, potentially pay for oral surgery not to mention the fact that now I owe a bunch of money on some you know some backed up uh, credit card payments and auto payment and I got contractors that I owe money to you know and it's like these these things I don't know I feel like they I feel like on one hand always being in, in the situation where you don't have ready cash keeps you on your toes in a, in a weird way like you always have to hustle to make ends meet but at the same time it I don't know it's just not pleasant <laughs> and it makes situations like when clients decide to up and 
just not pay or when you have an emotional connection to one of your clients and, and don't feel right billing them for the full amount of time that you worked like because you know that you didn't make them as much money as as you should, you're going to bill them you know like just just things like that but again it comes down to the reason why that's a problem why I even care and why it's tough is because I've made some other poor financial decisions like I've just like it's dumb things right I've just in in I didn't even have a business bank account until two months ago and now I'm in this situation where I have the business bank account and I've started funneling my revenue in there but the for whatever reason the bank uh, hasn't I have not received the like a debit card so I can't touch the money <laughs> and I've done some some EBT stuff from it but like I have some money in there but I have no money in my ah, it's that tooth again no money in my personal accounts credit cards are all maxed out um, and it's like now I'm now I'm you know in the process of applying for some small business funding um, because I have revenue uh, that's the thing is it's not that I'm it's not that I'm broke per se well I am broke meaning that I don't need money but it's not like I don't have revenue coming into the business the problem is that I made poor decisions on like bookkeeping and, and finances and ran, ran everything out of my personal account which is retarded um, and don't really have a good sense of the books and you know and so then I then I took you know brought on contractors too quickly so I paid too much out last month so I net I didn't net very much because there was too much cost and then I've got this massive tax bill that I'm out to pay for last year that I'm not excited about so you know I'm just in this situation where like so so like I said I'm, I'm going after business funding but I have to get paperwork but the problem is I'm so like so not good at staying on top of things that don't seem to matter, that don't really have any direct relevance, like filing paperwork with the state of Nevada, because that's where my uh, business is legally formed. And so I just checked tonight, and apparently my my uh, business um, listing is inactive, even though I'm active with LegalZoom, so I got that whole thing. That It's just a mess. Like There's just a lot of stuff that i got to figure out, and I think it has to do with the fact that I make, I'm, it's, it's hard for me to make little disciplined decisions uh, on a daily basis that lead to avoiding this type of pain. It's funny. It's actually really funny and ironic. It goes back to a saying that my mom always used to say, and what she, you know, I, I used to quote her as having said this, but it never sunk in for me. But there's the pain of, she, she always said, there's two kinds of pain. There's the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. And I would say that I'm just a sucker for the pain of regret, apparently. Because those 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 choices of omission, you know, the, the, ch- the choice to not do 
I think, here's the thing. Here's the thing that annoys me about the whole situation is the choices that I'm not making correctly. Like the reason why they're, why I made the wrong choice is a completely, completely arbitrary, non-universal, like it's just, it's an arbitrary choice. Like somebody, a person at some point or a committee of persons decided that that, that was the way that it was supposed to go. And I had no say in that. I had no say in the fact that to start a business and to get business funding and to get a business bank account, you have to have all this paperwork in order. Well, how am I supposed to run a business if I've got all that paperwork to do? And how am I supposed to pay someone to go and file the paperwork and stay on top of it if, I've, if I don't have any revenue because I don't have any money because, you know, for whatever, you know, for whatever reason. Like, I'm in a situation right now where, like, if I could sit down with somebody and like talk to them and explain my business and show them my financials and explain the situation, I could probably get funding, which maybe is what I should do. But on paper, I look like, like it looks like I had to submit my personal bank statements, which I know is gonna look weird, because then it looks like I'm spending my money on stupid things. Really, it's just that's, because I've just been dumb and I, didn't really put the effort into the, you know, all of that stuff because to me, again, more important than, like I could, I only have so many hours in a day. I don't have that many of them. And so I would rather spend the time building a webinar for one of my clients or updating a landing page or building a video to market my own services instead of dealing with some bullshit filing or whatever. Now, I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm not saying that my way is the right way. I'm just saying it's... I think it's a little more nuanced. Um, and unfortunately... I mean, it's because business is organic. Business is just humans. It's just people doing things for other people. And when you try and reduce it to a listing on a piece of paper or a filing being made on time or any of that kind of stuff, you, you miss out so many people just miss out so many businesses miss out maybe, maybe just I miss out because I'm an idiot <sighs> of course some people will be like Brad it's just but it's easy like it's simple stuff it doesn't even take that much time well you don't the people that came up with the process of filing those documents and making sure that everything is in order they're not the people that are doing that are actually starting businesses because people like me that start businesses and that are running consulting firms and trying to like make it happen. We aren't, that's the way our minds work. We're creative types and creative types need, they need someone else just to take care of it. Like I feel like maybe there should just be a, a free service that handles all that stuff. The unfortunate thing is that state governments make money off of businesses from the filing fees. So it's like, it's this whole racket of like, you can't really get ahead because the government, it's going to sound way too conspiracy theory, but the government just sort of has a monopoly on the whole thing. Anyway, I don't know. More thoughts to come. Peace. What's up, y'all? You know, it's crazy how fast 
your ability to uh, create a, have a feeling or a certain vibe in either a piece of content or just talking to somebody is just shot, depending on what happens. So I'm literally in the last five minutes, this is what's happened. I started out recording another segment. It was all kind of happy-go-lucky. I was like, good morning, California. I was going to do this whole, like, funny bit about how I how I almost went to the dark side last night at the end of the last segment, talking about, uh, I kind of I started to touch in on some government conspiracy theory stuff. And I was going to make a joke about it. And then, literally, right in the middle of me starting to make that joke, Wick picks up this, some... Some asshole left like half-eaten chicken in some plastic on the ground. And Wick goes to um, Wick goes to like grab it and I just thought it was the plastic he was smelling it and then he like had something in his mouth and I was like, what the So I pull it out and it's like chicken with bones and everything. So I have to like dig it out of his mouth. I actually probably should have just left the recording going because you would have got you would have felt the real shift. Anyway, so now I'm like upset. I'm upset that Wick only thinks about his stomach. I'm upset that people are dumb and leave food out. <sighs> it's annoying. Anyway, I did think it was kind of interesting. Went to bed last night with um, with those sort of conspiracy thoughts about how you know, the, the system is kind of set up. Now, I have to preface this whole thing with, I don't know that I have a better way. It's just kind of, when you get into, you know, the system's not really set up for people that don't do it perfectly, right? Like, if you don't have money, doors are closed to you. You don't have cash, and not like, I'm not talking about the potential for money. Because that's irrelevant. Everybody's got the potential for money. Everybody could go make some money. It's if you need something now, but you don't have cash now, you're screwed. Right? You can't. The, the door is, just, is straight up closed. Because your ability to gain access to those things is normally... Um, like the way that the system is set up is... In order for companies that have influence that are going to be able to give you the things that you need to get to that point where they can do that, they have to create scale. And the way they do that in the modern world, economically and profitably, is through automation. The problem with automation is that it removes the human element, which means if you don't fit their profile on paper, you don't pass, period. You don't even get to the people. You have to... You have to meet a certain score, a certain minimum requirement before you're even in consideration. And I think that's true of a lot of different things. Like I'm, it occurred to me last night that maybe the reason why the debit card hasn't shown up, maybe the reason I'm not getting any mail is because USPS still sees my address as 331, the apartment 331. And anytime something is addressed to 763, it's redirecting it to 331. And then people in 331 are throwing it away, which admittedly is my fault, but also 
now I'm going, I'm like, oh, okay, well, fine, I'll just do the change of address. But I can't, because the only way to do a change of address form online is to uh, submit it with payment. You have to pay a dollar. Well, lucky for me, I don't have any payment accounts under my name, except for the business account that I don't have the debit card for with any money in it. So now I'm stuck in a situation where I have to go submit the change of address forms, which probably means that they won't get processed until you know later this week, which means there's a good chance that I won't get even the second debit card that they sent. So hopefully, at the very least, hopefully I can get some of my clients to pay their invoices from August. Hopefully we can move some stuff forward that way. Um, hopefully it ends up working out. But it's just interesting how you kind of go there and now I'm seeing the conspiracy everywhere. I may have actually... It's like the dark side, you know? You, you give in to a little bit of the temptation to embrace sort of the power and the understanding of the dark side and then it just engulfs you and you can't see anything else. A little bit annoying. Also, uh, update on my face. So now, what it feels like, let me just explain to you what this feels like. It feels like what happened is whatever uh, whatever nasal cavities, sinus cavities are built into the skull, it feels like they were all sort of crushed on that side. And so like if I sniffle, I feel like what's happened is that all of any any mucus that's been generated overnight is just sort of pooling in this crushed up cavity. Because if I like touch it, it feels the same as like when you have a, when your cavities are stuffed up, but they're not stuffed up. So I feel like I'm just gonna get infected on the side of my face and it's gonna become a whole thing. So we'll see what happens. I'm not excited about that at all. Um, anyway. That's all. Yo, and welcome back to another Wick Walk Thought. I actually was just thinking, this this whole show might very well be renamed the Wick Walk Thought over and over and over again. Because it seems like that's all that... It's the only time that I find to actually record these. But um, in any event, uh, I think it's interesting how, how the, the, the thin line that you walk where confidence in what you're about to do can make you successful or really, really not successful. Um, so we just, uh, Sue and I have this thing we do when I don't have money. She cuts my hair. <laughs> and it's actually kind of fun because it sort of brings us together. But also, it's an interesting exercise in seeing her confidence in herself wax and wane. Because usually going into it, she's like, wait, what are we? What am I doing again? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? And then towards the end, she's like, I got it. I got it. And, uh, okay, I have to pause for a second. When we get and walk, there's... All right, we're back. Sorry, there's this dog that lives on the sixth floor of our building and every once in a while we see him and his owner out walking and it the dog always 
it's, it's, a, it's a poodle that has this massive fro, the way, they, the way they've cut him. They've left his, the hair on his head to grow. So he's got this massive fro, but he always lays down whenever Wick's coming. It's a dog thing. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it means, but I always like to think that Wick is like a king, and all the dogs are his subjects, and they all pay their respects by bowing down to him. That's obviously not the truth. But um, anyway, so we just walked past him. But uh, back to this story. So, so Sue's cutting my hair. And like I said, it usually starts out with her feeling a little bit less confident in what she's doing. And I kind of give her some guidelines. And it always ends up being about the same thing. And it actually looks pretty good, I think, if I do say so myself. Um, but uh, the further and further into it that you get, the more confident she gets in what she's doing. But I have, we have had a couple of instances where she's gone into it a little bit too confident <laughs> and we've ended up having to kind of scrap the whole project, which if you have ever cut your own hair before, scrapping the whole project means just buzzing it. Um, but I just think it's funny how there's that fine line where when you're given enough confidence to feel like you can accomplish something, uh, you have the ability to kind of outperform your own expectations. But then the second that confidence turns to ego or hubris, it's like the story of Icarus, where you just, you fly too close to the sun, you think you can do more than you can, and then you end up, your wings end up melting off, you end up falling down and dying. Um, but there's a lot of power in having the confidence to move forward and do something. And really, the thing that I think is important, well, that I've found important for myself, is that when you, people more often than they think, are in a position to help give that confidence. More often than anybody really gives themselves or anyone else credit for, they're in a position to... Well, like I find myself all the time in positions to give Sue confidence about what she's going to do. And she finds herself in a similar situation where she can, she can give me confidence in what I'm going to do. And it's a simple choice. And it's not like, it's not like you owe the world anything. It's not like you're, you're indebted to the world and so you have to do that. I just feel like it's the right choice. You know, I feel like it's a better move to go the route of giving confidence at, as opposed to the other way. Now, like I said, there's a line there because what you don't want to do is give someone confidence in their own hubris. So one of the worst things you can do is give someone the confidence to move forward on a really poor decision. So like I think there's a there's a great example of this. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the show House, but sorry, I'm just gonna transition the bags. There's an episode in the show House where he's in a, in a he's in like a psych ward because he needs to detox from all the Vicodin he's been taking. And uh, there's this character who calls himself I forget what he calls himself, but he essentially thinks, thinks of himself as a superhero. Role in the on the earth is to uh, save people, and so Dr. House. It's a very emotionally complex story. Because 
it's like the seventh season or whatever. And so he, uh, he's been shown to be a very curmudgeon angry, bitter, sarcastic character. And you start to see, as he breaks free of his addictions, you start to see him open up and, you know, be a little more vulnerable. And so that's what happens with this character. He, 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 of course, he can't get away from who he is. And so the way he does that is by breaking himself and this character, so the character, out of the hospital for a day. Um, and so they go to this fair and uh, he, he just kind of feeds into that. It gives him the confidence to you know, be himself and makes him feel alive again. But the problem is the episode ends. Well, it ends like the, the problem in the episode is that that same guy, while they're at the fair, he has this belief that he can fly. And so he jumps basically off of a third-story parking garage balcony breaks a bunch of bones. Anyway, so it turns out to not be working in his favor. Now, Dr. House had the best of intentions in that situation, but that was more enabling than it was instilling confidence. And so I think there's a difference, and I I don't know that I know the rule, you know, that, that divides enabling from confidence instilling, but I think that's an important, like, that's a lesson that we should be actively trying to learn as we go. Um trying to instill confidence in others without enabling them to self-destructive behaviors, right? So it's like, you know, Sue does a really good job of, of supporting the decisions that I make, but also does a really good job of questioning when she thinks I might be biting off more than I can handle. So like, there's a lot of instances where I have some client work that needs to be done. I got a lot of stuff going on and, you know, I'll, I'll consider taking a fight. And she's like, you can do whatever you want, but just remember, like, you've got a lot going on. And so in some situations, like, she can see potentially the pitfalls and she'll bring them up with me. But one thing she's really good at is not being too emotionally attached to her own opinion, which sounds funny because she, she is very opinionated. She does think that she's right about pretty much everything. But in those situations, she, I think it comes from like a respect, a mutual respect we have for one another where she understands that there are things that are my things. And she also understands that there's some things that I need to like figure out on my own, I guess. Um, which I think is a combination of understanding that not every, not every bad choice The consequences of every bad choice are not shared among all people, meaning sometimes it's okay to let people think that they're going to be successful even though they probably aren't, because either they are going to be successful and they'll learn from that, or they're not going to be successful and they'll learn from that. Right? So that's like that, the gray area, the middle ground, where sometimes it's okay to just be encouraging because they might actually succeed. And when they do succeed, you don't want to be the one that was a doubter, because people always... and well, not all people, but people that are like me always resent doubters. 100% of the time, we are resentful of people who doubt us. Um, and so, it's not that we don't learn from mistakes, and it's not that we don't take correction. It's just, there's always a little bit of resentment there. Anyway, so I, that's what I think. I think it's, 
I think that you can accomplish, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you set aside any thoughts of, like, personal, I don't even know where it comes from a lot of the time, that, that feeling of needing to put someone down or needing to, needing to be the one who told him that it wasn't going to work out, like, needing to be the one that can say, I told you so. But I think it's important to err on the side of instilling confidence, um, even in the face of not being an enabler. So anyway, just a thought. Peace out. Yo, what up? And welcome back. Uh, this is a segment that uh, I tried to do as a wickwalk thought, and then I tried to do again in the car, and it just has failed. So now that I have a quiet moment, I'm doing it now. I don't know what it's called, but I do know that it's going to be featured on a, a new thing that I'm going to start doing, a new Facebook Live thing that I'm going to do to my uh, personal page starting probably Friday this week. Anyway, so maybe the same day that this podcast comes out, you might be able to see this featured yet again. Uh, But uh, I'm going to call this segment the, well, the segment's about the difference between apologetics and dogmatics. And it has to do with... um, any, any, a lot of times you run into people that have very, a very close emotional connection with an ideology, whether that be a religious ideology or a philosophical ideology or something. But usually people that, that hold true to a particular ideology like this, they do it in one of two ways. They're either extremely dogmatic or they're fairly apologetic. Now, the dogmatic approach to any type of ideology is to disregard any evidence that seems to point away from that ideology and do what I like to call putting their heads in the sand, which essentially is what it sounds like. It's them just sort of isolating themselves from the situation, from the scenario, from the issue uh, for the sake of not having to deal with it, right? When their ideology is threatened, uh, as instead of sort of standing up for it or instead of fighting back, they just sort of hide and don't approach it. And I feel like a lot of times, this is, a, this is probably the most common approach. A lot of religious people do this. When their religion or their beliefs get attacked, they have a tendency to just stop talking to the people that attack them. There's a, in fact, when I used to be Mormon, one of the prevailing thoughts was not to engage in what they call anti-Mormon rhetoric which means don't read books that seem to be anti-Mormon, don't talk to people that are anti-Mormon, just don't engage. Just let them do their thing. And I can understand that from like a, you know, let them be who they want to be standpoint. But it doesn't, it doesn't really speak too much, in my opinion, it doesn't speak too much to the strength of somebody's connection with that ideology because they're not willing to either stand up for it or they don't feel like it's important to stand up for it. They feel like they can just sort of do just keep moving forward. The other approach is the, 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 the apologetic approach. And I don't mean apologetic in like the I'm, a, in the, in the I'm sorry sense. I mean apologetics in the philosophical sense, which is explanatory. 
it's it's a it's a it's a, a method used to try and rationalize data that seems to point away from their ideology. Now this is the this is the camp that most often I found myself in when I was at, when I was a hardcore Mormon. Uh, people would bring up to me all the time evidence that pointed away from the truth of the doctrine of Mormonism, and my approach was always to uh, to attack that head on from a philosophical standpoint. So my approach was instead of trying to just bury my head, I always would dig super deep. If someone came to me with an anti-Mormon argument. I could always come back with uh, some sort of rational explanation and, um, and deal with the issue from a rational standpoint instead of from a dogmatic standpoint. And I found, personally, that that was the most satisfying uh, result from my own belief system. So that, that's what made me feel the, the best about my, uh, my beliefs, was this idea that I was approaching it from an apologetic standpoint and not from, um, I swear, every single time I try and do one of these things, somebody tries to call me. It's okay. I'm just gonna, it's a suspected spam call, so I'm just gonna disregard it. Anyway, um, that was always my approach, but I had never actually, I never, you know, since I left the church, I have, I've not really thought about it that much, but, um, Sue, uh, has a rule, which is that I, jeez, oh, ever, oh my gosh, okay, I'm just gonna, I apologize if you heard all that buzzing, it's ridiculous, um, I, I take Sue to church every week, so I sit in mass, and, uh, and it, I wonder to myself how I was okay with three hours of church, an hour is long enough, but anyway, the, I was very impressed this week, because the sermon, the, the talk that the priest gave, was not what I would have expected from a Catholic priest, and definitely not what I would have expected from this particular Catholic priest. I've heard him speak on a number of occasions, and he tends to be a fairly, uh, fairly well-versed, but fairly dogmatic um, uh, priest. It tends to be his approach to most things, but the topic of his talk was all about the some there have been apparently there have been more uh, abuses by Catholic priests of late and he was talking about you know just people might be upset about those things and they may have uh, feelings of anger and feelings of frustration and confusion like he does and, and he took a different approach, though. Instead of what you would, you would imagine, which is you have, we just have to believe and have faith that everything is going to be fine and understand that God has a purpose and all that. You know, that very sort of hocus-pocus, mumbo-jumbo, dogmatic approach to dealing with real-world situations and real emotions. And he said, I won't go into, the, to, into deep into it because I don't want this segment to take forever, but... Essentially what he said was, the church, speaking of the Catholic church, is dealing with and having to shoulder and the, the burden of the sins of a few for the sake of the long-term growth and prosperity of the church. Like, and, and it can be compared metaphorically to Jesus 
shouldering and bearing the burden of everyone's sins for the sake of everyone's long-term salvation, right? So again, I'm not talking about the doctrine itself. I'm not talking about the truth or falsehood of the doctrine itself. I'm not really talking about the doctrine at all. What I'm saying is the approach was an apologetic one, an apologetic, again, not from not in the I'm sorry sense, but in the philosophical sense, not a dogmatic one. He was saying, look, if you're going to be, uh, well, essentially what he was saying was you can't in the same breath say you believe that Jesus is your personal savior. That's the classic Christian line that, that Jesus did all this stuff for you. And at the same time, and really say you believe that and you feel connected with that. And at the same time, not be willing to follow in his footsteps and bear the burden of embarrassment and shame and, and consequence of being associated with people who make bad choices because they are one and the same. So essentially he's saying in, in order for you to believe on the one hand, you have to also be willing to shoulder that burden on the other, just like he did, which I thought was very interesting. And it speaks very strongly to, uh, you know, to that sort of mindset. If, if you're willing to have that be your belief system, then you have to be willing to take all that comes with it, if that makes sense. And I, I just like that a lot. I like, I like the fact that he approached it from an apologetic standpoint and not from, uh, I, most of you are not going to really understand what I mean when I say apologetic standpoint, because, um, it's not, it is, it's not apolo- apologetic as an apology. It's apologetic as an apologetics, which is a, what is with all these phone calls today? Um, which is a philosophical term. So anyway, if you are the type of person that is, that is connected strongly to a particular ideology, I would, I would strongly urge you to take the apologetics approach, not the dogmatic one. Because dogma, I feel like the dogmatic approach was very, very effective for maybe the generations that came before our generation, um, but it is not and will not be an effective approach in the future. Um, because the, the my generation and the following generations just don't accept the dogmatic approach because we need to know, we need to, it needs to be real to us, like real and personal to us. It can't just be something that we that we just put faith in. It has to be something that we can also rationalize that we can also, um, you know, believe in, in a, in a very visceral and real sense. So anyway, just a thought. Peace. That's it for season one. Hope to see you back uh, for season two. Remember, head over to anchor.fm forward slash think like me to drop in your comments, questions, suggestions, rants, raves, creepy call-in tunes, or whatever it is that you want to do. Also, if you are interested in listener support, well, you might be interested in your own listener support, but if you're interested in giving me listener support, you can do that as well. Anchor.fm forward slash think like me. We will see you next week, next season. Peace.